Today on Blue 58, the Packers have one more OTA practice to go, and then the offseason is all done. The next time we'll see the Packers on the field will be training camp. But that doesn't mean the Packers are done building their roster. I have three free agents at one position in particular that I think are at least worth considering. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Alan Lazard is back in Green Bay. He has signed his second round uh, unrestricted free agent tender, tender guaranteeing him about $4 million for the upcoming season. This was a foregone conclusion, but it is good to see it done. Went right down there to the bitter end. He had a a deadline of June 15th before the Packers could start taking money away from that deal, but I don't think that was ever really going to happen because he signed, and now he is back in the fold for the Packers for 2022. Will there still be a long-term contract extension? I don't think so. I think the Packers are going to want to wait this out and see what happens, especially given their younger receivers on the roster as they try to develop and move that position group into the post-Devontae Adams era. Still, it is good to have Devontae, or not, it would be good to have Devontae Adams around. It's good to have Alan Lazard around, given his versatility, the different things he can do. And it'll be interesting to see what he does in, presumably, a larger role than he's ever had before this season. Uh, Packers also made another roster move, signing kicker Gabe Burkich, six foot three, two hundred one pounds, a rookie out of Oklahoma. He actually left school early, turning pro after his redshirt junior year. I don't have a lot of strong opinions uh, on kickers, but uh, Acme Packing Company's Justice Mosqueda has come up with an interesting way of evaluating them, weighting their accuracy and performance in college for distance. And according to Justice, Burkich is the fourth best kicking prospect in the past five years. Your mileage may vary on that, but if you don't like his take on it, Dane Brugler had him as the second best kicker in this class. And again, I don't know how to substantively really evaluate kickers. We should probably get somebody with a little bit of special teams acumen on the pod sometime so we can talk about this um, in a more authoritative way. But just looking at the like NFL.com scouting report on Burkich, it's even more obtuse than usual. Here's what Lance Erline wrote about Burkich. His strength, he has a rapid step-to-kick operation time. That kind of makes sense, I suppose. His ball striking is compact. Don't know what that means at all. He kicked with better power and body control in 2021. I guess I can follow that there. He generates lift and rotation quickly. Uh, He also nailed three field goals of 50-plus yards, 51, 55, and 56 in in the same game against Tulane. In terms of weaknesses, according to Zerline, Burkich has a slight push-pull in his kicks from distance. He also has uh, intermediate intermediate accuracy that can wane, and his kickoff leg lacks, lacks deep ball power. Again, even more word salad than usual. But Turning back to Justice's point, weighting accuracy relative to length in individual evaluation seems to be fairly important because presumably most guys can make these short to intermediate kicks, though there may be some concerns there with Burkich. But from distance, he was 5 of 7 from more than 50 yards at Oklahoma. That isn't nothing. It's a pretty good conversion rate from that distance. Overall, I don't know how serious the competition is for Mason Crosby, but I think it is worth noting that the Packers have now brought in three different kickers to kick along with Crosby in the past two years. J.J. Uh, Molson was here for more than a year. Dominic Eberly came and now went, and now you've got Burkich. It's not not a competition. How serious is the competition? Who knows? 
We should maybe point out that the Packers could still save more than $2 million against their 2022 cap by releasing Mason Crosby. And if Burkitsch is as good a prospect as some people seem to think that he is, maybe that all adds up to the Packers making a move there. I would not bet on that. I don't think I'd even put a dollar down on that. But the Packers have had a pattern now of wanting to have kickers around, and it seems like it's more than just trying to give Mason Crosby a break. They have really taken steps to shore up their kicker position, having options there. Sure, we expect Crosby to bounce back. Well, maybe maybe you don't. Maybe you don't expect Crosby to bounce back uh, from a disappointing season last year. Presumably, the Packers are thinking he's going to bounce back. Otherwise, they'd have cut ties long ago. But they seem to be hedging a little bit on the off chance that he doesn't. One final note from what we've seen from the Packers in Green Bay so far this week. Matt LaFleur says he is expecting David Bakhtiari to be ready for the start of training camp. That is good to hear. And I think in light of that, we can be cautiously optimistic about his prospects for 2022, given that news. However, the doomsday clock that we mentioned previously is still ticking closer to midnight until we see him on the field and all those concerns are put to rest. And I think we should stay, though cautiously optimistic again, I think we should stay in believe-it-when-we-see-it territory. It's great that people want to say nice things about David Bakhtiari. It's great that he appears to be putting in all the necessary work to get back on the field. That's absolutely what we would expect from him. And given who he has been as a player to this point in his NFL career, I don't think there was ever any reason to expect anything less than that from David Bakhtiari. But... We need to see him on the field, in training camp, in preseason games, probably not in preseason games, but confidently saying, yes, I am going to be ready for week one before I think we can really put these concerns to rest. I have a bunch of listener questions that I want to take on today. There's been a backlog building and due to events at the end of May and start of June, I've been unable to get to them, but I would like to do that today. Before we do that, though, I want to give a couple different kinds of shout-outs to Patreon supporters. Now, the thing that I consistently mention about Patreon support is your access to the Discord server. And I think one of the best things about that server is that you get to interact with a bunch of different people who have different interests, different backgrounds. Two that I want to shout-out today, both I've mentioned previously on the podcast, but uh, Mike Rohde, Uh, is an illustrator, a designer, and he has shared some of his work in that Discord server. has a a couple great books on what he calls sketch noting, and I love it because it's an entirely different way of looking at something that I do very regularly, obviously taking a lot of notes on on Packers games and things like that. And and Mike has a great system for doing that. Very artistic, very interesting, and I would like to try it. Um, Certainly not the artist that he is, but it's been cool to have him share some of his work in the Discord server. The other person that shows up there uh, from time to time is Russell Shoemaker of the Art Slice Pod, which he does with his wife, Stephanie Duenas. Uh, It's a podcast about art, and I have some interest in art, though I am not an artist myself, and this is a great way to talk about some paintings that you've heard of, some that you definitely haven't heard of, and their impact on the, the art world. I love history. This really dovetails with that, and it dovetails in a really accessible way with something that I like but don't know a whole lot about. I'm the sort of art appreciator where I go, we go fairly regularly to the Toledo Art Museum, Toledo Museum of Art, and I walk around and see all the paintings and stuff and think, that is really neat. I couldn't do that. Um, But it's really great that you did because I enjoy looking at this picture. 
Russell and Stephanie go much deeper than that, explaining the context for um, some of the paintings, that, again, that you've heard of, some that you haven't. You have the opportunity to interact with people like that in the Discord server, and we do a good job, I think, of sharing interests that maybe go outside of football in there, too. It's a really cool community, and I hope you consider becoming a part of it by heading to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Your questions. The very first one comes to us from Ricard in Stockholm, Sweden, and we're trying something different here that I want to give you the opportunity to do. But first, let's see what uh, Ricard has to say. Thinking about last year and how rusty they looked uh, in the season opener versus New Orleans, uh, since they are facing the Vikings, a divisional game in the season opener this year, do you think they will approach the preseason and week one in a different way than last year? Before we get into Ricard's question, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, submit something where you can hear your own voice on the podcast. Uh, hit us up with a voice memo at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com, and we'll be sure to include your question in the show if that's something that you would like to do. We'd love to get um, questions on the show in a different sort of way. So give that a shot. I'd love to uh, to play that audio on the air. So to Ricard's question, I think everything's on the table, and I think this is something the Packers definitely need to take a look at uh, after a couple of situations last year. You had two situations where rest the Packers approached, the Packers and Matt LaFleur approached rest and conserving people in two very different ways. Last year, the Packers and LaFleur went very light in the preseason, both both offense and defense. Uh, Aaron Rodgers obviously didn't play in the preseason, but most of the Packers starting defense didn't play either. And wouldn't you know it, the Packers came out very slow in week one. Now we've got the correlation and causation question. How much did those things really have to do with one another? I don't know if you can get a definitive answer there, but I think it's at least a data point uh, in one part of that discussion where you say, hey, maybe we should look at thing, doing things a little bit differently. Last year, Lafleur also had actual players on the field playing meaningful snaps in week 18. Nobody of note got hurt except for Marquez Valdez-Scantling, which ended up being quite a big deal, wouldn't you say? So, to the question of rest and conserving players and things like this, I think this is a situation where Matt LaFleur's philosophy perhaps deserves a little bit of scrutiny and is presents an opportunity for re-evaluation. I think we are going to see more Packers players on the field in the preseason this year. I think Aaron Rodgers pretty much has to play some snaps this year given the, the turnover at the Packers' skill positions. You've got a bunch of new guys out there, and you've got an offensive line that's going to be configured differently, too. I think that unit needs to be together at some point in the preseason. It may not be a lot of snaps. It may be 15 to 20 on a couple of drives, but I think it is worth getting those guys out there. We have talked about um, the idea of practicing practice before. One of the things that I enjoyed the most about playing college football was the was the practice practice. It was practicing everything that you're ever going to do, including practice. So before training camp even started, my freshman year, our coach took everybody out on the field and says, we're going to walk through what a practice is like. So here's where everybody stands in warm-ups. Here's where everybody goes when it's time for position groups. Here's where it goes, or here's where everybody's going to go when it's time for starting offense to go against scout defense and scout uh, defense to go against starting offense, um, so on and so forth. And you just walk through all of those things. This is kind of like that. Um, getting an opportunity, even if you don't need the reps, if you're Aaron Rodgers, to just 
get out there with everybody. And I think there's a case to be made that the Packers should do that just because of the amount of turnover that they're going to have um, it, on their offense. Next question comes from Ray Pace Bay, and it's one of two that we have about Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So he asks, uh, MVS's abilities are still kind of odd to me. How many players in the league can do what he does? He's like the modest budget version of Tyreek Hill, but only one aspect of Tyreek. I think he kind of hit the nail on the head there. Uh, MVS had tremendous game-breaking speed, and so does Tyreek Hill. The unfortunate thing is MVS, by and large, pretty much only had that. He was one, well, we've, we've seen it statistically. You can break it down any number of ways, but one of the, the best ways that you can look at his impact is just looking at yards per catch. He led the league in yards per catch in, in 2020. In 2021, things still went down. But um, in terms of like yards per target and uh, yards per catch, he was always up there right at the top. Unfortunately, there's a flip side to that, where if you look at his catch rate relative to his targets and relative to yards per catch, he was one of the worst in the league. Um, you can slice it a whole bunch of different ways, but his catch rate on deep balls was not great, even compared to comparable guys who got comparable amounts of deep balls thrown their ways. He just didn't catch a whole lot of them. Now, maybe that's a, a quarterback thing. Tend to think not with Aaron Rodgers, but part of his skill set was being a, a relatively inconsistent guy with the ball in the air. Pretty unique guy. And uh, he presents a pretty unique replacement situation for the Packers. They've got to replace one specific um, specific thing in their offense. And uh, the question of whether or not they have the guys to do it, I think, is going to remain open for some time. Not a very long time, because here comes the jet sweep guy with uh, a question along those lines. He asks, is it safe to expect MVS-type utility as a floor for Christian Watson this year? His speed and size is a given, and scouts have regularly noted his downfield blocking. I feel those traits give him a chance to fill that role seamlessly. Tend to agree here, though I wonder if uh, Romeo Dobbs is also going to have something to say about that as well. But I think expecting Christian Watson to fill a role like uh, MVS did in terms of utility um, is, is pretty much a given this year. Production may be a little bit different. We've talked previously about um, how Packers wide receivers tend to not produce very well as rookies, and really league-wide guys tend to not produce very well as rookies uh, because of the adjustment. It takes a while to get used to playing at an NFL level. Suddenly, every defensive back you face is virtually as fast as you are, though not exactly, given how fast Watson is and a guy like MBS was. But in terms of production, I, I could see it going either way. Certainly, it wouldn't be all that difficult to overcome or to surpass what MVS did in 2020, uh, 2021 uh, in terms of production. Uh, so that shouldn't be a huge ask there. Uh, but it also wouldn't be all that surprising to see Watson be more like 2019 MVS. Um, some fits and starts, some certainly good games in there, but some games where he disappears entirely, and that's just the nature of being a rookie. However, it does seem like this is a ready-made role. And if it's either Watson or Dobbs uh, trying to take over as that sort of deep threat, block downfield sort of guy, this is the opportunity there. And I, I think they're going to get every opportunity to fill it. Another question from the Jet Sweep guy uh, has to do with compensation for a couple interesting individuals in Green Bay. One in particular. He asks, highest paid quarterback, then highest paid left tackle, then highest paid cornerback. Next up is highest paid outside linebacker. 
Good question. He's speaking, of course, about Rashawn Gary, who you would have to think would be next in line for an extension. Of the young players coming up, it's Gary, it's Elton Jenkins, and it's Darnell Savage. I don't think the Packers are in a rush to get Darnell Savage done. And Elton Jenkins, though he's in the conversation, is going to be complicated. First, he's coming back from the ACL injury, but also good luck figuring out his market value. A guy who's a Pro Bowl caliber guard and tackle can play left tackle and right tackle, left guard and right guard. Owen can also fill in quite capably at center if you need him to to as well. So I think his value boils down pretty much to just one word, expensive. But beyond that, how do you figure out what to pay him? I don't know. So Rashawn Gary might just be next in line first because he's the, the premium position player there, sure, but also because it's simpler to figure out his deal than anybody else's. So on Gary specifically, I think there are three contracts you need to look at. TJ Watt, Joey Bosa, and Miles Garrett. Those are your three highest paid edge rushers. And if I was Rashawn Gary's agent, that would be the neighborhood I'd be shooting for. Very different structure for these three guys, though. Watt leads an average per year, pulling in just over $28 million. But both Bosa and Garrett have more than $100 million in total guaranteed money. Though less fully guaranteed than Watt, they still outpace him by about $20 million each. Fully guaranteed money, Watt gets $80 million, but in terms of total guarantees, Bosa and Garrett uh, take the lead there. Presumably some roster bonus, bonuses near the back end of their contracts bump that number up a little bit, but they're still ahead there. The question is, which matters to Gary? Uh, average per year? or those guarantees. If you're young enough, I think you can stick those back-end guarantees in there, even if you know you're never going to get them, thinking that you're going to get an opportunity to get another contract extension um, at some point. And that, I think, could factor in uh, for a guy like Gary. He could also just say, hey, I want the fully guaranteed money, even if I have to take a little bit less of it, to make sure that I get what's mine right now. I don't think that Gary is going to be getting one of those type of contracts right now, but he'd probably be in the next tier of guys after those three right now, maybe in the 50 to $60 million fully guaranteed sort of range. But I think he's probably betting on a huge year this year. And I think there's good reason to think he's going to have a huge year this year. And if he does, he and his agent will definitely be arguing, okay, I need to be in that T.J. Watt, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett sort of neighborhood. Maybe not the very top, but I'm at least shopping for a house near where they live. He's been right up there in terms of, you know, pressure rate stats for years now on a, on a per-play basis. He's right up there with anybody in the league. And if he starts, you know, converting those regularly to sacks, like if he ends up with, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 sacks this year, the big money is going to follow. Took a, took a look back in the history books. Other than guys they've signed as free agents like Preston and Zedaria Smith or um, discounting Preston Smith's recent extension or reconfiguration of his contract, which I think is an entirely different animal, the last big Packers extension at edge rusher was Nick Perry, who the Packers signed to a five-year, $60 million deal about six years ago now, $18.5 million guaranteed for Perry, which seems like an absolute steal now. It's amazing how things change in just half a decade or so. Um, I would much prefer the Nick Perry contract for Rashawn Gary, but that ship 
has long sailed because that's just not where the market for edge rushers is anymore. Things just keep going up and up and up. Carl Anderson asks, what would it require for Clay Walker to become a Micah Parsons type of player that could line up all over the field? Mike linebacker, Will linebacker, outside linebacker, edge type, uh, nickel uh, linebacker off the ball. In other words, someone that could cover and pass, stop the run, or go after the quarterback. What would it require from him as a player and the Packers' D as an organization? They've got similar athleticism, but play style, football IQ, and scheme may differ. Now, obviously, this would be great for the Packers. Uh, Micah Parsons was tremendous for Dallas last year. Slam dunk candidate for Rookie of the Year on defense. The Packers would love to have a player like that in Quay Walker. And athletically, physically, they are very, very similar. You look at relative athletic score, they're, they're right there in terms of their body measurements, in terms of their overall athleticism numbers. In some ways, Walker is actually, I think, a better athlete um, than Parsons, though Parsons' 4-3, 6-40-yard dash obviously puts him in um, very rare company. But let's take a look at Parsons, uh, because I think, for starters, it would stem from a desire from the Packers to have Walker do it all rather than focus on one thing or maybe just a couple things. Parsons pretty much did do it all for Dallas last year. He had a pretty close to even split between uh, snaps where he lined up on the line and as an off-the-ball linebacker last year. According to Pro Football Focus, he had 540 snaps in the box, which is generally where they they categorize those guys that are like off-ball linebackers, like a Devondre Campbell, or like a box safety type of guy who comes down near the line of scrimmage. He also had 390 snaps where he lined up as a defensive lineman, so a typical edge rusher type guy. More specifically, he had 295 snaps where he dropped into coverage compared to 319 where he was rushing the passer. Those are the ones where you're really looking at the mix there because it's it's different responsibilities in passing situations. The Packers edge rushers aren't doing that. They're not having a near 50-50 split in terms of drops versus rushes, which makes his, you know, double-digit sacks last year, by the way, all the more impressive. I don't know if the Packers want that for Quay Walker. Uh, My sense is they probably want him skewing much more towards the off-ball stuff, and if he is coming after the passer, it's going to be uh, on a blitz. Um, things like that. He did that at Georgia, and I don't think they're going to line him up as an edge rusher for 300 snaps this year and have him just go after the the quarterback that way. So I guess to to Carl's points here, the Packers would have to have him want to be like Micah Parsons. But let's assume for a second that they want that. What would Quay Walker need? He's got the athleticism, but I think it it becomes a mental load. It's It's a big mental load to do the coverage stuff and the run fits, and also be a pass rusher. So I think you're actually scaling back his role in a way towards being a part of a few small differing packages to get that done. But if they wanted to do so, the Packers might actually be pretty uniquely positioned to do that. They've got a guy who can be their number one at linebacker. It's Devondre Campbell. So the Packers don't need a lead dog at their traditional linebacker spot. They've also got Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary on the edge. If you were of a mind where you wanted Quay Walker to be that do-everything guy in the defensive front, you could really sprinkle him in at those spots in addition to giving him some spot duty as a traditional just inside linebacker guy 
it wouldn't take away all that much from your defense. It wouldn't take away all that much from what he can do because he's going to be doing these things in smaller doses anyway. He's never going to be, well, never is a long time. He's not right now going to be the, the top dog at anything. So he is kind of this movable chess piece kind of by default right now anyway. Maybe they line him up on the edge and have him rush. They did it with Oren Burks last year. If you can do it with Oren Burks, you can definitely do it with Quay Walker. It's going to come down, I think, to what the Packers want for him, because I think he can certainly do it. Is that the best use case for Quay Walker? I think actually, yes. Um, maybe not to the extent that the, the Cowboys moved Walker around or moved Parsons around, but if you could have him do those things capably and just have him be kind of like this, where is he going to show up sort of player for opposing offenses to keep track of, that's a good thing. And it kind of speaks to what we, we talked about regarding Walker on draft night. Didn't seem like an obvious pick at the time, but he does give the Packers a lot of versatility in a lot of different ways. And they can force the matchups onto the offense now with a guy like him on the field. He's certainly capable of doing it. He did it a little bit at Georgia. He's got the athleticism to do it in the NFL. Whether or not he does it is the, uh, is the remaining question to be answered. And we will see that here in about a month. Two final questions related to free agents. First, from old Packers fan. Any possibilities for the Packers to add a veteran free agent or two between now and the start of training camp? I've seen some wide receivers uh, mentioned as being the best fit for the Packers, including Julio Jones, Will Fuller, and Odell Beckham Jr. Each has significant availability questions with OBJ unlikely to play before the playoffs. I think something more likely is cornerback with Kevin King and uh, Kyle Fuller still available and no draft choices at the position. Maybe safety if they like guys like Jaquiski Tart or Landon Collins or if a veteran like Harrison, Harrison Smith gets cut loose. Any thoughts on further reinforcement or other roster-building moves coming soon? Very good question. And related to this one, QHM also asked what my preferred edge rusher in free agency would be right now. But first, to old Packers fan, definitely a possibility. The Packers are definitely shopping. Uh, Brian Gutekunst has shown us that his roster-building process never really stops. He never feels like he's set with his 53, but they are definitely in bargain hunting mode. They're not looking to pay a premium for anything. If you're looking at it as a trip to the grocery store, you're at the point in the shopping trip that you're looking for store brand stuff that you might've forgotten you need. Oh yeah. The thing that I always end up grabbing a couple more of is like, um, sandwich bags. It always seems like we were running out of sandwich bags. So pick up a couple, whatever store brand sandwich bags that we need. Maybe you're at Walmart and you're checking out the $5 Blu-ray bin, just looking for something that maybe you haven't seen before, or you just want a physical media, media copy version of a, a movie that you like. I don't know. I'm not going to judge. You're looking for value, but you're not looking to spend a lot of money. The Packers are looking, but I don't think anything is necessarily imminent, but that is fine because you can wait at this point of the year. You've had a chance to take a good long look at anybody who is a a free agent at this point. And you can take your time making up your mind. The Packers signed Devondre Campbell on July 9th last year and Dennis Kelly on July 29th. They can add value late in the process. But say the Packers were looking. If it was me, I'd be shopping at three th these three positions. I'd be looking for wide receivers, just looking for that perfect deal who's a veteran that can give me a little bit more than what I've got right now. I'd be looking at edge rushers. I'm looking for a Whitney Merciless type, a third, maybe fourth edge rusher who gives you an alternative to just starting a guy like J.J. Anigbari um, at that spot, starting um, going with a guy like J.J. Anigbari 
or uh, Jonathan Garvin as your fourth edge rusher, or maybe even third edge rusher at this point. Um, and tight end. Uh, you're looking for a prospect, I think, at tight end, because I think anybody who's who's actually going to play significant snaps is long since gone. You're looking for a guy who can be this year's Tyler Davis. Maybe he gets sprinkled into some packages late down the late down the stretch, or a Dominique Daphne, a, an athletic guy who really kind of lacks a, a position. Those are the three places I'd be looking. Looking at one of those three spots specifically, to QHM's question, basically, again, we're trying to find this year's Whitney Merciless. Or maybe more accurately, the defense's version of Sammy Watkins, a guy whose career maybe has taken a couple rough turns here over the past couple of years, who the Packers think they can maybe resurrect and get a little bit of value out of. So there's three names in terms of edge rushers that I'd at least consider signing. Jason Pierre-Paul, Ryan Kerrigan, and Carl Nassib. Jason Pierre-Paul turned 33 in January, and he's certainly the most decorated edge free agent available. He's definitely not a traditional stand-up outside linebacker type, but I'm sure he could do it. He could probably do the Zedaria Smith type role too, uh, hand on the ground on the outside or or move inside. But I would think he's almost certainly looking for an uh, like an Dominican Sue type mercenary deal. So he's probably out of the Packers price range, almost assuredly out of the Packers price range. But of these three, he's been the best most recently. He only played 12 games last year uh, of note. Uh, He's also only played a full season just once in the last three seasons. So if you're concerned about that kind of thing, there's your your, your red flag there. But in terms of ready-made guys who could really contribute to the Packers' um, edge rusher group, it's him. Um, Super expensive, but if if you're going to spend money on free agents, um, I think I would rather do that even than wide receiver because the Packers have a, a serious need for edge rusher depth beyond Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. The next guy, Ryan Kerrigan, is probably one of the the longest-term contributors still available, one of the best pure edges available. He played 16 games and had no sacks last year for Philadelphia, only just over 300 snaps, but I think that tells you a lot about the kind of player who's available right now. To me, he's a see-what-he's-still-got sort of signing. If you bring him in, it's going to be a low, low low-end deal, and just see if he can still play, if he's still interested in playing. Uh, shoot, I didn't Google to see if he had retired or anything. I just looked at a list of available free agents. Uh, Whitney Merciless was on the list. We know he's not available. He is retired. Maybe Kerrigan is in that that category too. Uh, but if he is interested in playing, he might be worth a look. The third guy is uh, intriguing is probably too strong a word. Interesting, maybe due to his physical dimensions more than anything else, but uh, interesting. Um, Carl Nassib, relative to the last, rest of the list. He is still pretty young at 29, and he's absolutely huge, 6'7", 275 pounds. To me, this is emblematic of the sort of signing I'm looking for. A, would rather have a real NFL player than a rookie or Jonathan Garvin as my third or fourth edge signing. He's not a guy you're going to bring in to set the world on fire. He's a guy who's going to be a known commodity on your depth chart. Again, not going to set the world on fire. You're not looking for him to set the world on fire. You just need a known commodity, a guy you know can play at the NFL level, and Nashib is that. Um, I think you could do worse there. Uh, The Packers certainly are rolling the dice there uh, on whether or not they can. But that type of signing, I think, would, 
would be worth exploring for the Packers. I'll throw you one other name to watch here, just because if you're looking for a reclamation project, this might be it. The 49ers say they are going to part ways with D. Ford at some point in the relatively near future. He ended the last two seasons on injured reserve with a variety of injuries, and he has played more than 325 snaps in a year just once since 2017. Now, the two times in his career that he's played at least 15 games, he's had double-digit sacks. He's been very, very good, but he hasn't been that player consistently pretty much ever, and he certainly hasn't been that kind of player in a while. If you are into the stock market analogy of buy low, sell high, when it comes to D. Ford, you really can't buy much lower than him right now. But if he became available, I think you'd at least have to have a conversation. If you're going to do the um, what does he have left sort of conversation about Ryan Kerrigan, you can have that about D. Ford as well. Maybe he's interested in a a reclamation tour for his own career uh, in Green Bay. If injury concerns are a thing for you, you are all the way out on D. Ford. But given how highly he was thought of in both Kansas City and San Francisco, Despite his injuries, I don't think you can rule it out entirely. So I've got for you in this episode, I'm very happy to give you a little bit extra in this one. Uh, just again, I, I feel bad though. You know, We were going to take time away because of what happened um, in late May and early June. Um, I want to be back in the swing of things, and I'm grateful to be getting getting back in, into the podcast studio and giving you a regular flow of content because it's, it's fun to do, and I, I enjoy doing it. So hope you enjoyed this show, a little bit extra in this one. If you enjoyed it and you think of there's somebody else in your life who would enjoy it too, go ahead and share it with them. That's the number one way we grow, and I would appreciate it if you would help us continue to do that. Doing that is also going to get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.